Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. All right, so for those of you that are visiting tonight or maybe here for the first time, I see a few uh, unfamiliar faces. Uh, We are uh, going through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And uh, we started about five months ago, and we have made it to Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42. And the title of our lesson tonight is An Eye for an Eye. And uh, this is one of those that we've been waiting a long time. To get to uh, to get to this one, so we've got a lot of good a lot of good stuff for tonight. Now you ought to know this by heart. Uh, in Matthew five twenty, I'm probably every one of you can probably quote it by now. Jesus said, "Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not get into heaven. You will not enter the kingdom of God." And once he makes that statement, in the next five chapters of I'm sorry, in the, ne- in the rest of chapter 5, he gives us six illustrations of a righteousness that does exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, we've already covered uh, four of those. Last week, we started looking at number 5, which is, of course, uh, vengeance, and we'll, we'll, finish that, uh, we'll finish that tonight. All right, I've got trouble already. Hold up, guys. As always, y'all can go back to talking. I'll be back. I'll be back in just a minute. Oh, there we go. That happens sometimes, and I have no idea why. So let's try it again. Vengeance. Okay, so Jesus opens this fifth illustration in Matthew five thirty-eight. He says this: "You have heard it said that uh, you've heard it said an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth." Now, what does that mean? What, what does that saying actually mean? Well, to find that out, we went all the way back to the Old Testament. And we looked, and that, that saying or that phrase occurs three times in the Old Testament, uh, once in Leviticus, once in Numbers, and again in Deuteronomy. And what we found was that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is a fundamental principle of the Old Testament civil law. And its whole purpose or point is to make sure that the punishment fits the crime. You see, in that day, excessive acts of vengeance were very common. Uh, we, I gave you two examples last week, Lamech in Genesis chapter 4, uh, the rape of Dinah in Genesis chapter 34. So when, when things happened to people back then, they would retaliate excessively. Okay? Now, let's certainly not just pin that on them, because you see it every day. Go read your newspaper. Pick up your news app tomorrow. I guarantee you somewhere in there you'll find some guy that was cut off in traffic and he pulls out a gun and shoots somebody. You see it all the time. Somebody gets offended. They pull out a gun and shoot somebody. It, it, that's, this, that's the whole point. We are prone to, when to, we want to get somebody back. We don't stop at an eye for an eye. We want more than that. We want to hurt them far more than they hurt us. An eye for an eye is meant to put a restraint on that. So far from being a license to vengeance, it was actually the exact opposite of that. It is a merciful law that tries to make sure that the punishment only fits the crime and no more. 
So that statement is about justice, not revenge. And I'll remind you that it was always to be adjudicated or administered by a judge or a court. It was never to be left up to the individual because individuals, as we just said, are sinful. They want more than an eye for an eye. So in the Old Testament, it said only an eye for an eye, only a tooth for a tooth, and it has to be administered by a court. Now, we come forward some 1,400 years, and the Pharisees have got it all wrong. In their typical legalistic way, they actually use the law as justification for revenge. In other words, they looked at it and said, you know what, you slap me, I'm going to slap you back. You take my eye, I'm going to take your eye. You hurt my hand, I'm going to hurt your hand. In other words, they used it as a justification for getting back at people. And then, as always, they would lay their head down at night, go to sleep thinking, man, I'm a righteous man because I didn't go any further than the law allowed. See, they basically were using the law to justify personal revenge or personal retaliation. This is how, this is a mistake they always make. On the outside, no matter what it was, whether it was murder or divorce or lust or anything, on the outside, they always followed the law. But on the inside, they're unforgiving, they're bitter, they're vengeful. They got all this junk. This is exactly what Jesus said to them in Matthew 23. He said it over and over and over again. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful. But within, you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. You appear outwardly righteous to others. But inside, you're a hypocrite and you're full of sin. You're full of bitterness and anger and vengeance and all of these bad things. That was always their problem. On the outside, they would follow the law almost to a T. But on the inside, they were messed up. Now, I want to stop right here for just a moment. I want to think about something. Because what I'm fixing to say is going to set the scene for what Jesus is going to say. And it's going to set the foundation for how we interpret what he's going to say. I said last week that we cannot interpret the Sermon on the Mount as a code of ethics. In other words, we can't come to the Sermon on the Mount and and look at it as a set of rules that govern every situation that we come into. Now, how do I know that? How do I know you can't treat the Sermon on the Mount that way? Well, there's two reasons. Number one, do you understand that somebody could come to the New Testament, open it up and say, turn the other cheek? And they could say, okay, that's what Jesus said, and no matter what happens, I'm going to turn the other cheek. And so they could go through life, and no matter what happened to them, they would turn the other cheek, but in their heart, they hate that person. In their heart, they want vengeance. In their heart, they would choke the life out of that person if they could. Do you understand? That's no different than the Pharisees. It's the same thing. You'd lay your head down at night and say, boy, I'm a good person. I turn the other cheek. But inside, you're full of uncleanliness and hypocrisy and sin. So you can't treat the New Testament that way, and you certainly can't treat uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount that way. The fact is, is our, our problem is not the law. The problem is our heart. We have a sinful heart prone to revenge and retaliation. And let me tell you, there ain't no religion and there's no code of ethics that can change that. Never. A set of rules cannot change the human heart. So that's the first reason I know that we're not to treat it as a code of ethics. Here's the second reason. 
In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said this, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, I want to take one example tonight, and that is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And I want to plug that in, and I want you to read what it says. Jesus says, I have not come to abolish an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I didn't come to do away with that and replace it with something else. Instead, I've come to fulfill it. Now, I want you to think about that. Now, here's my question. What would an eye for an eye being fulfilled, what would that look like? See, here's the thing you and I have to understand. The law is never going to be fulfilled perfectly. Why? Because we got a problem, right? The, the law is not intended to make people perfect. That's not the intention. The law is for godless, sinful people. The law tries to mitigate and control. The law is kind of like herding cats. you got a bunch of sinful cats, and the law is trying to keep them in. It's trying to say, no, you can't do that. Listen, we got laws against murder. People still murder. we got laws against robbery. People still rob. we got laws against all kind of things, and people still do those things. They always have. They always will. The best the law can ever do is just to control it mitigate the consequences of a sinful heart. But Jesus said, listen, I didn't come to abolish an eye for an eye. I came to fulfill it. So my question is, what would it look like if an eye for an eye was fulfilled? Well, let's ask ourselves, what's the purpose of that law? Isn't the purpose of that law to restrain personal vengeance? So wouldn't its fulfillment only be found in a man or a woman who didn't want revenge? Wouldn't an eye for an eye be fulfilled completely if there was a man who stood there and said, I don't need to do that. I don't want to do that. I will not do that. You see, folks, this is exactly what Paul talks about in Romans 8. Listen, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. You see, the the law can never stamp out sin. The law can never get rid of revenge. It can never get rid of divorce. It can never get rid of murder. It can never get rid of robbery. Why? Because it's weakened by the flesh. Because it's trying to hurt a bunch of sinful cats. But God, it says, did what the law could not do by sending His own Son in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who don't walk according to the flesh, but we walk according to the Spirit. You see, this is what Jesus came to do. He told Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He didn't come to create a new set of rules. He came to create a new person. He came to create a new race. People with a new heart. People who are indwelt by the Spirit and led by the Spirit. That is how He fulfills the law. I'm going to create a person that don't want revenge. I'm going to to create a person that in their very character, they have a new heart. They don't need to retaliate. That's how he fulfills the law. So you've got to understand when Jesus says, you've heard it said an eye for an eye, but I say, what you have to understand is that Jesus is saying, I didn't come to give you some new rules to follow. I came to give you a new heart. This is the character of people that he's talking about. Okay? So let's turn to the words of Jesus. There's that... Y'all hear that? It's the air conditioner? It's not me? Okay. 
All right. Y'all just going to have to grin and bear it, I guess. All right, let's turn to the words of Jesus, and let's see what he says. Matthew 5, 39. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Do not resist the one who is evil. Now, I mentioned last week, some people take that literally. Some people take it literally and say, as Christians, Jesus said, don't resist the one who's evil. So they'll tell you you shouldn't be a police officer. You shouldn't go in the armed forces. You shouldn't be like a prosecutor or a judge. Something like you shouldn't resist evil in any form. That is absolutely ridiculous. Okay? Here's why you can't interpret it that way. Because Jesus, in his own ministry, resisted evil. He spent three years resisting evil. Sometimes he did it outwardly. For example, uh, John 2, 15 through 16, it says, Making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers, and he overturned their tables, and he told those who sold the pigeons, Take them away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. If you're not familiar with what this is talking about, in that day, all the people would come to the temple, and they would have to sacrifice pigeons and doves and things like that. So businessmen, being what businessmen are, thought, We'll make a dollar. So they set up tables and they sold pigeons and they sold doves and they sold t-shirts and they sold CDs. Atonement day is here, right? They're going to make a dollar. They turned a house of prayer into a house of money. And that made Jesus angry. And he resisted that evil. By the way, even here in the Sermon on the Mount, is he not resisting evil by talking, by, by preaching against the incorrect interpretations of Scripture? That's exactly what he's doing. He's resisting evil. So he certainly doesn't mean that. By the way, you move further into the Scripture, you see Scriptures like this, 1 Timothy 5.10. Paul writes to Timothy and says this, As for those who persist in sin, by the way, he's talking about in the church. If you've got people in the body in the church or that are persisting in sin, rebuke them in front of everybody so that the rest may stand in fear. That's, that's, that's resisting evil, is it not? How about uh, Romans 13, 4, where Paul says, talking about the government or the civil authority, is God's servant to administer punishment on the person who does wrong. God has instituted governmental authority to set laws and resist evil. The whole scripture teaches this. So, so, so Jesus certainly does not literally mean do not resist evil. So if he doesn't mean that, then what does he mean? Well, here's the good thing. You do not have to guess. Because immediately after making this statement, Jesus clarifies what he means by giving us four examples. Matthew 5, 39 to 42. But I say to you, do not resist the evil one. Here's the first example. Turn the other cheek. Here's example number two. If anyone sues you and takes your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Example number three. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Example number four. Give to the one who begs from you. So we don't have to guess what he means. He gave us four examples. He illustrated it four different times. And what we'll do tonight is, we'll starting tonight, we'll walk through every one of those examples to see what they mean. Now, I've got to, I want to tell you something. Every one of these examples are culturally specific. you got to remember, he, he stood on that mountain 2,000 years ago and he talked to a people who had a culture, 
right? And his examples were in their culture. But although they may be culturally specific, they are eternally relevant because they give us principles and guidelines that we absolutely can live by today. And I'm going to remind you of what I said last week. Jesus is talking to Christians here. He's not talking to non-believers. Everything he's talking about in the Sermon on the Mount is Christians. This is, this is the character of people who are born again. This is the character of people who are regenerated. So he's not talking about the world. He's talking to me and you. Let's see what he says. Here's the first illustration, and we know it, of course, as turn the other cheek. Matthew 5, 39. Jesus said, if anyone slaps you, and the word that he uses there in the Greek is rapizo. We'll come back to that in a minute. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, there are two words in this verse that are very, very important. And the first one is the word that I highlighted, and that is slaps. Now, that is a very specific word contrasted against another word. Let me give you an example. In Matthew 26, 67, this is a story on the night that he was betrayed. Jesus is brought before the, the, Sanhedri- the Sanhedrin. He's taken to, to Pontius Pilate, and he's beaten, and he's spit on, and all kind of stuff, right? Matthew 26, 67 says this, Then they spit in his face... And struck him, and some slapped him. Now that is two different words. The word kalafizo means strike or beat, and it means to hit somebody with a closed fist. And the intent of that, by the way, when you hit somebody with a closed fist, is to hurt them. It's to inflict pain on them. So some of those men there that night were beating him in order to hurt him. But notice what it says. But others slapped him. Now that word is rapizo, and it means to hit with an open hand. Now that's, that's unusual, isn't it? Think about that. Why would some of them hit him with a closed fist and others hit him with an open palm? Well, here's the reason. You see, in that culture, to slap somebody with an open palm wasn't meant to hurt them. It was meant to insult them. It was meant to demean them. Its intent was not to inflict physical harm. If you wanted to inflict physical harm, you hit them with an open fist. But if you wanted to insult them, if you wanted to demean them, if you wanted to offend them, then you slapped them with an open palm. Now here's the thing. Jesus adds another word. Very important. If anyone slaps you on the... What does it say? Now, why does he say that? Isn't that odd? Why didn't he just say, if anyone slaps you? Or he could say, if anyone slaps you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. But he does not do that. He literally says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek. I I looked it up, 90% of the world is right-handed. And that's consistent down throughout the centuries. 90% of the world is right-handed. I'm right-handed. And if I'm going to slap a man across from me on his right cheek, I don't do it like this, do I? What do I do? I backhand him. Jesus is saying, if anybody backhands you. Now, why would he say that? You see, a slap with an open palm is demeaning. But if somebody slaps you with the back of their hand, that is the most grievous insult a man in that culture could inflict on another man. 
You, you could not insult a man any worse than by slapping him with the back of your hand. And you see, according, even according to rabbinical law, we've got writings that show this, a backhanded slap was t- considered twice as offensive as, the, as being slapped with the front of your hand. I mean, if you want to look at somebody and say, you're nothing. You're, you're nothing to me. You slapped them with the back of the hand. That you could not insult anybody more grievously. Now, I'm going to stop right here. This is always the question that comes up when you say turn the other cheek. Everybody wants to know, does this mean I can't defend myself? If somebody attacks me, does this mean I've got to just let them beat me to a pulp? Here's my answer to that. And I'm actually, I'm going to try not to answer. I'm going to answer and not answer. The problem is if I answer, everybody's looking to... Why is it, remember what we said, why is it those of us under grace always want to be under the law? Why are we always looking for a rule? Why are we we always going to the Bible and say, just tell me what to do? So I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to do that. What I am going to tell you is that is not what Jesus is talking about in this passage. He is not talking about a physical attack. He's not talking about one man attacking another. And, and you just having to roll over and play dead. He's describing what in that culture was a calculated insult. Listen, a, a drunk or a lunatic or a criminal, can, they're not, and they're attacking me, they're not trying to insult me. Right? They, they don't, they're like an animal, man. They're just attacking me. They're trying to hurt me. By the way, you want to know what I'd do? I'd restrain them. I'd fight back. I'd protect my family. That's what I'd do. Now, you do what you need to do. The Bible says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You can certainly come to me and say, I don't think I should fight back. And I would say, that's awesome, but don't use that scripture. Do you all hear me? That's awesome. Don't use this scripture. Don't use turn the other cheek as a justification for not practicing self-defense. Don't do that. That is not what this passage is about. This passage is about being insulted. It's about being demeaned. It's about being offended. That's what this passage is about. Now, what is to be our response? Here's the thing. It's probably going to be very rare that you and I are going to be physically attacked. But insulted, demeaned, offended, folks, that happens every day. That happens all the time. So what we're talking about here isn't some rare thing that's going to happen. No, what we're talking about is everyday life. And the question is, how do we respond? Well, Jesus is very clear. When it happens, you never, ever slap back. You never, ever retaliate insult for insult, demeaning comment for demeaning comment, offense for offense. You never do that. Let me tell you, folks, when it comes to the rights of others, when it comes to the purity of the church, when it comes to the honor of God, you fight like a lion. You hear me? You fight like a lion. You should resist evil and expose evil. We need some, some table turnovers, to be quite honest, in our culture and in this church. But when it comes to personal insults and offense, you take it. You take it, and you willingly give up your right
to retaliate. You see, that's what Jesus himself modeled for us. Listen to 1 Peter 2, 20-23. Peter says this, For what credit is it if you sin and are mistreated and endure it? But if you do good and you suffer and endure, this finds favor with God. What's these next six words? Read it with me. For to this you were called. For to this you were called. Since Christ suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow. What kind of example did He leave? When He was maligned, He didn't answer back. When He suffered, He threatened no retaliation. But He committed Himself to God who judges justly. That's the example. He, when He was personally insulted. When He was personally slapped. When He was personally spit on. When He was personally blasphemed. He didn't say a word. He didn't say a word. I'll say it again. You fight like a lion for the, for, the, for, the, for the weak. You fight like a lion for the purity of the church. You fight like a lion for the honor of God. But when it comes to you personally, somebody insulting you or demeaning you, you take it. So if you're insulted, folks, Christian, let it go. If you're demeaned, Christian, let it go. If you're offended, Christian, Let it go. Give up your right to personal retaliation. Now let me say this, and I want to make sure this is clear. This certainly does not forbid us in situations from going to the police or using the court system. God has instituted those things, right? If there's somebody out there, uh, maybe on Facebook, or there's somebody out there that's just insulting me and demeaning me in some way or, 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 or physically threatening me or something like that, you certainly, within the bounds of the law, you can use the court system. How do I know this? Because we see it all throughout the New Testament. Jesus Himself, watch this. This is in John 18. Again, this is when He's brought before the officials. It says, when Jesus said this, one of them asked Him, asked Jesus, this, basically I forget what the question was, but Jesus said this, I've been out on the temple. I've been out in the public every day preaching to people. Ask them what I said. And it says when Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? Now watch what Jesus did. Notice he didn't just stay quiet. He said, if I said something wrong, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why are you hitting me? So he doesn't, you know, he's not retaliating. He's not... He's just saying, look, man, what you're doing is wrong. And there's per- that's perfectly fine. Listen to uh, Acts 16. This is the uh, Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul are arrested for no reason. They're thrown in prison. They're beaten. And the, the magistrates, the authority, decide to let them go because they hadn't committed any crime. So they send the police over to the jail and tell the jailer to let Paul go. So the jailer walks in there and he says, the magistrates have sent to let you go, therefore come out and go in peace. And Paul said to them, they beat us publicly, uncondemned Roman citizens, and threw us into prison, and now they want to throw us out secretly? He said, you go get them and tell them to come apologize. That's exactly what they did, by the way. They came and they apologized and let them go. Acts 25, but Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you want to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on the charges? By the way, if you go back and read that, they, the Jews wanted him to go to Jerusalem so they could ambush him and kill him. That was their whole point. 
And Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I appeal to Caesar. And Festus said, okay, you appeal to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. In other words, he used the law to his favor. There's no, there's no problem with that. But we are not, not ever to personally retaliate. That's not our place. Our job is to forgive. So you can do that. I, I don't know if you, if, I hope you don't see the, you think that, that those two things are mutually exclusive. That we can use the law. If somebody breaks into my house and, 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 and does something and steals or something, trust me, I'm going to call the police and I'm going to have that guy prosecuted. But that's, am I going to hate him? Am I going to forgive him? Am I, maybe I go visit him in jail and offer him the gospel? Are you with me? You can do both. There's no problem with that whatsoever. Now, I'm done with that. And at this point this week, I was preparing the lesson. I said, well, let's go talk about the next one, but I couldn't. I couldn't. Because I think I've told you what we need to do. But can I tell you, it is one of the hardest things you'll ever do. So I felt like I can't go on before I talk about two things. Number one, why is it so hard? And number two, how do you do it? So I've entitled this section, Invasions of Character. On July 11th of 1804, at dawn, two men met in a duel. One of them was Aaron Burr, who at that day, on that time, was the sitting vice president of the United States. Can you imagine? He was the vice president of the United States at that time. The other one was Alexander Hamilton, who was the uh, original secretary of treasury. These two men did not like each other. And one man would insult the other, and the other one would come back with an insult. And then this one would insult this one, and he would come back with an insult. And they just went back and forth until finally they said, let's have a duel and settle this thing. And so on July 11th, 1804, they did. Aaron Burr shot and killed Alexander Hamilton. You see, that type of retaliation, by the way, in that day, that was very common. Samuel Johnson, who lived 1709 to 1784, he was a British uh, or an English writer, he said this, a man may shoot the man who invades his character just as he can shoot the man who breaks into his house. That's, that's the way they... Read that what he says. You can shoot a man who invades your character just as surely as you can shoot a man that invades your house. Here's the problem. Invasion of character is exactly what Jesus is dealing with when he says, turn the other cheek. He's not talking about a physical thing. He's talking about somebody demeaning you, somebody insulting your character. Now, we don't have duels anymore, but trust me, the human beings have the same problem. You insult me, I'm coming back hard. It's almost natural. It's almost uh, reflexive, is it not? Let me say, let me a quick quote from Matthew Henry here. If anybody says flesh and blood cannot pass by such an affront, let them remember that flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a good quote right there. If you don't think my flesh and blood can 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 pass by such an insult, you better remember flesh and blood. It's not going to inherit the kingdom of God. So here's what I want to ask tonight. Why is this so hard? Why is it when somebody insults you, demeans you, offends you, why is it so hard to just let it go? Probably one of the hardest things you'll ever do. Here's why. 
When somebody insults you, especially purposefully, or they purposefully demean you or offend you, the first thing in our heart that we feel and think is that person should be punished. Yes? That person, somebody's got to get back at that person. Now, first of all, we think, who is that person? Well, certainly it's me. <laughs> you know, I need to take this into my own hand. But the feeling that an, when, when, when a wrong is done, to, a feeling that punishment should come, we, we think that person should be punished. By the way, you are 100% right. You are 100% right. When somebody wrongs need to be made right. Sins need to be punished. You're 100% right. I said it last week. God is a God of justice. And every human being is born into this world with a desire for justice. That is a godly desire. The problem is sin perverts that and turns it into vengeance. Sin perverts a godly desire for justice. But, but the desire for justice, God is a God of justice. There's nothing wrong with wanting justice. And that turns out... That is one of the deep hindrances to our ability to let an offense go. Because we know justice should be done. How can I just let them get away with that? But folks, listen to me. Here's where you've got to make a choice. You're at a fork in the road, and you've got two choices. This is clear. It's not choice number three. There's choice one and choice number two. Romans 12, 19 says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves... But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And by the way, Paul is quoting Deuteronomy. So in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 32, and in the New Testament, Romans 12, both of them say, Vengeance belongs to God. Justice belongs to God, not you. You see, God has made us a promise in His Bible, that he, in our Bible, that He Himself will repay all wrongs in perfect measure. There is not a single insult that escapes his notice. There's not a single demeaning comment that he doesn't see. And by the way, he hates it far more than you do. He sees it's evil far more than you do. And he says, it's my right. I'm the judge to get vengeance on that. I'm the judge. It's my job to do that. See, here's the fork in the road. you got two choices. Number one, do you believe God? Do you really believe that He'll deliver on justice? Do you really believe He'll do that? You see, if you, do, if you really trust God to settle accounts on your behalf, then you can step back and say, you know what, I don't need to retaliate. God's got my back. God will take care of this. And you just, it's like a burden. Literally, it's a mercy from God. Because I don't know if you know it or not, but vengeance is a burden. It is a burden, man. And God says, let me hold it. Cast it over here on me. I'll take care of that for you. And it just sets you free to just move on. If you believe God. Or, choice number two. I don't, I just, I mean, can you imagine? God says, I'll take care of this. What what are you thinking in that moment? You know, God... I love you. I believe in you. You're sovereign and all that, but I, I just can't let this go, man. I just can't do it. Most of us believe he would do it, but the, honestly, it, we don't want that person to live the next five minutes <laughs> or the next five days or five hours without justice, right? 
God, you'll do it, but that's going to take way too long. I need to handle it now. Nobody treats me that way. And so we retaliate. All because you don't believe the promise of God. You don't believe God. You don't trust God. See, everything we do is about faith. Everything we do is about faith. Do I trust Him? Do I believe in Him? Or do I choose not to? I want to close with three things. Number one, if we really want to do this, we do it the way Jesus did it. If you really want to do this thing, if you really want to walk in, turn the other cheek, if you really want to do it, you do it the way Jesus did it. See, listen to me. Nobody was wrong more than Jesus. Nobody was demeaned. They demeaned the God of the universe and treated Him like a criminal. Nobody was insulted worse than Jesus. Nobody was demeaned worse than Jesus. Nobody was offended because He was perfectly innocent. He'd never hurt anybody. He had every right to call down 10,000 angels. And He didn't. And how did He do it? I'm going to read 1 Peter 2.23 again. Look at what I got underlined. When He was reviled, He didn't revile in return. When He suffered, He didn't threaten. But He trusted Him who judges justly. He believed God. You see, that's how He did it, and that's how we do it. We trust the one who judges justly. We put our faith in God to get justice for us. Number two, there is justice. Listen, don't miss how profound that statement is. That vengeance belongs to God. See, that teaches us that the very fabric of reality... At the very foundation of this universe is a truth. And that truth is that God has an absolute commitment to justice. Every wrong will be punished. Don't you doubt it for one second. Every wrong will be punished. All, everything will be set right. All debts will be paid. We've all got a choice, right? Every sin you've ever made, every sin you ever have committed, are committing, or will commit will be paid for. You either fall at His feet and you let His blood cover it or you stand before the judgment seat and pay for it yourself. It's your choice. But sins will be paid for. Either Jesus is paying for your debt on that tree or you'll pay for it yourself for eternity. But God has an absolute... Listen to me, folks. God will never, ever, ever pick up the rug and sweep it under and say, forget about it. No big deal. I, I was just kidding. All that sin stuff, I didn't really mean that. Come on in. I love you. No. God is committed to justice. That's why He sent His Son, to make a way for us. I'll close with this. Don't be normal. <laughs> Don't be normal. You see, if you let another person's insult or another person's offense or another person's demeaning comment provoke you to retaliation, you're being controlled by them. Jesus said, don't let evil overcome good, but overcome good with evil. Don't don't let somebody else control you like that. Don't let them control the way you think and the way you feel and the way you behave. See, this is how normal people act, right? What's good for the goose is good for the gander. I'm going to give them a taste of their medicine. Give it back as good as you can get. That's that's normal stuff. I don't even have to tell you about it. Everybody here knows what that feels like because it's as natural to us as breathing. Normal people react reflexively. 
We don't even think about it. We just, we just react. We allow our emotions and our ways of thinking and our actions to be controlled by what other people say and do. Folks, don't be normal. We're not normal. We're Christians. We're not normal. We're a new race of people, new creations with a new heart indwelt by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, which means we have the ability to respond in faith. We have the ability when we're insulted or mean or defended to stop and say, all right, God, you got this. I trust you and walk away. Normal people, worldly people, people that walk in the flesh don't have that. Christians do. Only Christians can truly turn the other tree. You see, retaliation is what most people expect in the world. It's just normal. But turning the other cheek displays something that's not normal. It, does, it says that you've got something on the inside that other people don't have. That you're different. There's a reason. He wants us to walk out and put his power on display. I'm going to give you one more scripture and then I'm done. James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. You see, the problem, the Pharisees had heard the Old Testament for 1,400 years. They heard it for so long that they forgot what it really meant. It just became common to them. We can't make the same mistake. When Jesus says, turn the other cheek, it isn't just a nice phrase. It isn't just the something that, we, we, that sounds good. It's something that we have to do. So I encourage you Christians tonight to walk out of here and don't just hear the word. And don't just say, wow, that was good. I enjoyed that. No, you better walk out of here and be a doer. Because if you don't, James says, you're just deceiving yourself. You're like the Pharisees. They thought they were righteous. But Jesus said, your righteousness better be more than theirs. It's got to be a righteousness that's not just on the outside, not one that just looks good to people, but one that's real on the inside. And a real surpassing righteousness is one that turns the other cheek. Hey, that's it for tonight. I want to... We got a few people that need prayer that came up a little earlier. I know uh, we're paying for... Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m., in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.